Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined by our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and this week, our care pastor, Conduit Care Pastor Kyle Froman has jumped in with us. Welcome, Kyle. Yeah, thanks so much for giving me a mic for a minute. Thanks for put, putting up with Darren and I in a in a podcast room. This is your it's your first time with this, so won't be the last. Well, if, if it's up to us, it won't be the last. We'll no, see. absolutely. Kyle might not. have a different opinion. Uh, it might depend on my performance today, right? <laughs> absolutely. But we're going to dive into Romans six with Kyle, and uh, which is going to kind of be like a almost a a pre podcast because we've not taught on Romans six yet. Um, so this is a little different. We're going to kind of yeah. set it up for this coming Sunday's teaching. Well, it's going to set it up because what Kyle does for our church, what Kyle has done as a ministry for fifteen years or more, has got a front row seat to Romans six. So what we'll hopefully accomplish today is this won't just be some theological exercise. This will be, a, oh, no, this actually does actually matter in my life. And now here's the theology to help me navigate my way through it. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we continue our sermon series, What's True About You, coming off of a week where we had a special guest on Sunday, um, our good friend Elisa Childers joined Dude. us for an Dude. interview. Dude, can we stop for just a second and talk about Elisa Childers? She nailed it. Right. Who knew? So, do you remember? Do you remember Zoe Girl? Of course I do. Okay. Well, let me rephrase that. Do you remember Zoe Girl as a youth group kid? Or no, no, no. Were you no. I was in the. I was in the okay. biz. You were professional by then. Yeah. We have to clarify that because sometimes I talk about a group or whatever, and Mo <laughs> was like, you know, in eighth grade, you know, <laughs> trying to kiss a girl, and I'm out here nope. trying to make a living and feed a family, and but so yeah, I. So, uh, so Zoe Girl was managed by Norman Miller. Norman Miller, legend. Legend. Um, and so I, uh, boy, how do I say this? So, so Norman managed lots of really very successful, yes, uh, very uh, theatrical Young Messiah tour. You remember mm-hmm. the Young Messiah tour? I do. That was Norm. It's Normy. God rest his soul. Uh, but my point was, is they weren't really known. These acts were maybe not necessarily known for theological depth. Uh, maybe it would be a, a fair way of saying it's it. entertainment. Yeah, great pop songs, except for Twilight Paris. Mm. Um, but uh, I just, I mean, I don't know. I remember Zoe Girl, and I just didn't think of them. I just didn't know that inside of uh, Zoe Girl is a theologian, right? Right. That's uh, that, that we had on our stage on Sunday. We've, we've had, to, we've gotten to know Elisa over the years. I've known her for a long time. Known her, actually, known her husband and brother-in-law uh, for much longer. Um, do you know that Mike played drums for for him? I did not know that. Yeah, was, was he also playing drums for for him when you played bass in a guest appearance in their music video? <laughs> no, and I did a couple of shows by the way. Did we know no, that? Did everybody uh, know that? But th- no, this is when they got professionals. When when they got Mike, uh, <laughs> is when they got professionals. Mike and Mark Childers were in uh, Truth. Okay. Okay. The the chop shop of uh, Roger Breland where he created a beauty and anyway. Uh, and so they they got professional. So it was Mike and Mark, and I can't remember the other guys. That, that, by then, I'd realize I'd, I'd rather make ten percent of their of, of their touring revenues than uh, a booking than one hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, uh, to suck at bass. So, uh, but that was before they were even married. Like she wasn't married. Uh, 
then. And, and Mark now is actually uh, Carrie Underwood's um, band leader. Yeah, music director for uh, her. And Mike is out there with somebody, some country act. But anyway, but yeah, so Elisa, sorry, <laughs> music industry history with uh, Darren and Mo <laughs> is of completely worthless nature. Um, Elisa did such a fantastic job of, uh, it, was, it, was, it was kind of a little bit of a, a, a place mark in the middle of why Romans is important uh, theologically speaking in our lives. And so if you have not gotten her book, Another Gospel, uh, it's available on Amazon. It is. Uh, .com for now, I guess. I mean, who knows what Amazon's going to do in the future. Uh, I can't recommend this book highly enough. Yeah. Um, in the olden days, five years ago, uh, the biggest concern was Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens or some rab, you know, raging atheist. But the, the, the bigger danger now are um, the progressive theologians, which are just stripping away the gospel of the power uh, in it. And she, uh, she does a masterful job of walking through why that is important. And, and in the book, we couldn't do it in the 30 minutes we had, but in the book, builds an enormous biblical case of why this is all so important. AlyssaChilders.com. Um, you, can, you can peruse her podcasts, her YouTube channel, and order her book from there as well. You can check out the interview that Darren um, led with her this past Sunday on our YouTube channel, Conduit Church. Um, and it was, it was inspiring. We had a lot of great feedback from that since Sunday. And a lot of folks that have ordered the book, um, my son included, um, and his girlfriend immediately uh, ordered the book uh, at lunch after service. They were just really intrigued by the conversation. And um, that's actually interesting. Yeah, it was really, how old is Gabe? Nineteen. Yeah, and um, you know, just felt felt like you know she was hitting on topics that are absolutely relevant to today's culture and. And it's true. I mean, it is. I mean, there's just a lot of questions that are rising yeah. in our culture that we try to tackle on this podcast. But um, she's deep in the in the woods on a lot of that. It's important. Um, it's, I was I was asking about his age because you know people that are sitting there on a Sunday. I, I don't know of any place else on the planet where you you know you have the equivalent of like say kindergarten and a college you know true. PhD all in the same room, um, as far as spiritual whatever. And so you know I, I made that comment at one point about. You know, hey, we're using a lot of words here today that you probably never <laughs> heard before, and a lot of people were like just nodding. Yes, like, I have no yeah. idea what you're talking about. Yeah. But if, if someone in their early 20s or late teens, like they know exactly That's true. what we're talking about. So I appreciate the patience of those who waited through that, um, knowing that it maybe wasn't for specifically. You might be struggling. You know, I mean, I was struggling with those questions if you're in your 60s and your 70s. Right. Um, but thanks for allowing us the opportunity to, to talk about that. Yeah, but their children and their grandchildren are. Yeah. And so it would behoove them to have some awareness to the, the conversations that are being had um, culturally yeah. during this time. Um, and so, yeah, so we kind of took a little bit of a break there for this interview with Elisa. And then this Sunday, we'll, we'll pick up in Romans chapter 6. W- what's the main takeaway in Romans 6, as, as we dive into this. Oh, man. It, it, so Romans 1 through 5 is about what we've talked about, justification, your identity, who you are. You know, we at our worship night last night, there was one of the songs, like, remember, who, who, who you are, remembering who you are, which those of us who have believed have this identity uh, as the righteousness of God in Christ, that we are, our, our existence is justified. We don't have to try to justify it anymore. 
in Christ. So, that, But that's the position. So chapters 6 through 8 actually then switches to this biblical word called sanctification, which, I mean, I don't know, Micah, how many times you use the word sanctification in a sentence in your life, right? Because nobody uses it. But the idea you know, which is that, uh, like our modern vernacular, hey, this is kind of, hey, you got to get your crap together um, part of your life. There's a part where you got to, I just got to get this stuff figured out. And we all inherently, uh, at some point, we'll know that. I've got to figure this out. Um, and so six through eight is biblical sanctification is God's plan for you uh, getting your crap together. Uh, it's moving from following every evil desire, every, you know, the epithumia, every to actually having a life that matches the identity of who you are. So chapter six, uh, I mean, he opens up with, uh, shall we go? <laughs> By the way, this is the question. If you don't, if you have never asked this question, this verse one question, I think it's because you don't understand grace. If you've never said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Um, it's sort of a haha question, but it's actually the right question. If if I am the righteousness of God in Christ, if if I am loved and and accepted exactly as I am by you know believing in Christ, why not go get my money's worth for the rest of my life? Now, on the one hand, that shows that you don't understand um, sin and and the, the results and all that. But on the other hand, it actually is a to me that's the 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 perfect is probably the only question that you should ask uh, as, as, a, as a young Christian. So why not just go ahead and why would I want to get my crap together if, 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 if grace increases with it? So that's Romans 6 uh, in a nutshell is the answer to the question of why, why not go on sinning. And when folks uh, don't get their stuff together. Yeah, can we say crap on the radio? I mean, you did. But I'm going to say stuff. <laughs> when right. people don't get their That's stuff together, um, they usually, not usually, but at times, will, they need help. They need help getting through it. And many times that ends up being a, a care pastor or a chaplain, such as Kyle. And uh, Kyle, you, you are, man, you go deep with people and you kind of meet them where they are and you kind of help get them out of the mire. Um, Give us just a little bit of background of, you know, kind of what maybe even led you into a life of chaplaincy and, um, and kind of where the worlds in which you work in or, or have experienced. Yeah, my journey into chaplaincy uh, was an unexpected one for sure. I didn't wake up one day and go, you know what I want to do? I want to be a chaplain. Uh, sure. <laughs> as, a, as a young adult, to me, chaplaincy only existed in the military yeah. and in hospitals. Like, yeah. I didn't know that there was something more. Really, what led me into chaplaincy was giving my passion to God, right? So as a young kid growing up, I was passionate about motorsports. Mm. And I began to see that as a conflict of my faith because I was a fanboy. And I put so much time and devotion and attention into following a sport that it left less space for Christ in my life. It occupied too much of my mind. So I kind of resigned and handed that over and said, I want more of you, God. Uh, but within that, I didn't recognize that really God doesn't want us to abandon our passions. He wants us to use those passions for him. Uh, certain things spark our desire, spark our passion, and we should just surrender that in a way he can use it. Little did I know that would be through the course of chaplaincy. So a long story short, 
I just got introduced to the concept of motorsports chaplaincy and started walking as a volunteer chaplain, which then led to a part-time chaplain, which then led to a full-time chaplain. I've been doing that for almost 19 years now. 14 of that was in uh, the sports world within the NASCAR industry, and most recently uh, it has been in corporate chaplaincy. Along the way, have been involved in training, equipping, and empowering other men and women around the country to walk as chaplains as well. I guess we can transition to this part of the conversation. Um, it's not just visiting people in hospitals, although you do that. Um, most often, I think the thing that surprised me maybe the most about being a pastor was how uh, easy it is, how many people that you don't see coming uh, end up hitting the self-destruct button in their life at some point. And it's, 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 uh, it's a whole lot of like uh, little by little by little and then suddenly is what I learned later. But uh, how much of your work do you think uh, is hospital visits, someone got cancer versus uh, the, somehow the self-destruct button was hit and now everything's falling apart? Right. I would say 30 to 40% of, of my time is life hit unexpectedly, and I just need someone to help me navigate this. And I would say the remaining 60 to 70% is, um, I hate to say self-inflicted, but certainly uh, related to our decisions and consequences of the decisions that we make and the things that we pursue in life. Which is why you have that job and I don't, because that's actually really wise to not because when I say self-destruct, you know, I say it a little bit with a tongue-in-cheek, ha, 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 because I've done it my own life. Right. Um, but th- it's so much more than – it's like it's not like it's a full moon and everybody just sits around going, okay, everybody on the count of three, we're all going to hit the self-destruct button together. Um, it's, a, it's a whole lot of series of, uh, of, of decisions, of influences, of things that have happened to them, things that have happened by them that ultimately re- result in uh, everything from addiction um, – and I guess, you know, I mean, you know, Mo, last year when we were, you know, March of 2020, we were talking about it pretty quickly. Gosh, we're, we're about to lock everybody in to their homes. This is going to be painful emotionally for a lot of people. And, and we've seen that play out nationally, but we've seen it play out locally. Yeah, I mean, substance abuse um, took a, uh, what's the opposite of a nosedive? It skyrocketed yeah. uh, in 2020 during the pandemic. And there's a recent report that just came out. Um, Yahoo posted an article even this week talking about the um, those numbers for 2020 and um, one of the professors uh, of epi- epidemiology at John Hopkins um, admitted stated addiction is a disease of isolation and Wait, they, when did that when was that this was just posted this week oh, man. Um, sorry it's a little irritating that he like because obviously that was known well before yeah, because epidemiologists yeah. are finally admitting that of John Hopkins, um, no less. Um, Sorry, who has been front and center of all things um, COVID and lockdowns over this past eighteen months. But yeah, they they said you know addiction is a disease of isolation, and um, they're they're showing that there's a thirty one percent increase in overdoses. Wow! Over the course of twenty uh, two thousand twenty and two thousand twenty one. Wow. Um, that's a huge number, and and I know, um, Kyle. I mean, you've you've walked through 
with a lot of folks dealing with substance abuse. And, and does that does that correlate? Does that resonate with your experience over the past almost two years now? Two years, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as soon as the conversations were had in June or, or sorry, March of 2020, that this was coming, um, I began to speak up that this is not going to end well yeah. from a, a mental health and addiction standpoint. Uh, I think it was April of 2020. I was driving a gentleman to to rehab who um, was highly intoxicated, and as he sat in the back of my car. He said, you know, you take away my community, you take away my will. And mm. this was a man who had been sober for quite some time. Wow. So that uh, isolation uh, certainly was a, a catalyst in his life. And not only from an addiction standpoint, but from a, a mental health and suicide standpoint, the the impacts have been dramatic. Yeah, we, we talked about it a little bit um I don't know, and it felt like I don't want to say fighting a losing battle because it sounds so nihilistic, um, but it, it really did feel like brace yourself because there's some things about to happen here that we just we can't prevent now, but we need to be ready for when they happen, um, specifically as it regards to mental health, uh, as it as it regards to addiction. You know, Kyle and I both have been actively involved in, with uh, a place of hope in Columbia, Tennessee, for. Well, you've been there longer than I was. You've known Coop since you were in kindergarten, right? Yeah, yeah, since I was like 10 or 11 years old. Uh, Mike Coop was my Sunday school teacher. He was my youth pastor. Uh, He was the first one to invest in motorsports ministry to write a check and hand it to me and say, I believe in what you're doing. I did not Uh, know that. Yeah, just his story and the people he has impacted through his investment into others is significant. Well, especially yours, right? I, had, I didn't even know that part of it. Yeah. I just know that I, I remember, and I probably read this, so I'd give credit if I could remember who said it. But um, so the, the epidemiology community that were giving us these uh, prescriptions of staying home, staying inside, not just staying inside, uh, it was like, you know, you could hold your head underwater and, and prevent getting COVID. Like that is a that is a successful way to avoid getting COVID, but that is not a solution. Um, and this felt like the social version of holding your head underwater. People are going to drown. Yeah. And um, what we what we experienced specifically was people. Um, a lot of people. Uh, and so, if you're listening to this, you think well, I, I thought I was the only one. Um, home is actually supposed to be where you're where you're safe. Home is supposed to be. Uh, where I, I f- I'm accepted and I'm loved. and But that for a, a lot of people, and I might even say most people, isn't necessarily that right now. And so for them, it's work where they get out of the house because I'm away from this fear. I'm away from this drama. I'm away from this fighting. I'm away from whatever. And we locked them in. And I mean, I promise you, it was, we were weeks, not months in when I got the first phone call of a marriage that was falling apart and irretrievably broken. Um, and it was a young couple and I didn't see it. I, nobody saw it coming, but they were suddenly locked in the house and what they were able to avoid for all those years, they couldn't avoid anymore. Uh, and then within weeks of that, people who had just gotten out of place of hope, um, we were just down there for a tent revival night. You know, I talked to a guy, I think his name, uh, let me say his name. Um, he had gotten out March of 2020, clean, uh, sober and 
lost his community and relapsed hard after that because he had nowhere to go. Uh, some people don't know this, but we actually allowed the church to stay open for uh, NA, Narcotics Anonymous meetings, and um, and a couple of people there thanked us for that that night because we were that literally no churches were letting him in, and we we're like, how could we not? You you know, it's like it's it's just an impossible choice. What if I spread COVID? Well, what if they die of an overdose? So so I don't know which one we're choosing here, but I feel like this one feels more likely to me right now for this 28 year old and. Um, the community aspect of it was so important. Uh, when you're right now, so two years in, remarkably, um, what is in front of you right now? This may not even be a... I didn't tell you about this question ahead of time, so if you don't have an answer, that's <laughs> totally fine. What do you think is the number one thing like that is uh, facing whether it's at your work, whether it's in NASCAR, whether it's in, this is not, you know, uh, just your work centric. This is our church. Like, what do you think is the number one issue um, facing? uh, Is it addiction? Is it emotional health? Is it something else that's, that's bringing everybody to these places? Right. I would say if I were to, to put an umbrella over everything, it's certainly emotional and mental health. Uh, we've lost control or this perceived notion of control. We've thought that we've had control over our lives and what happens to us for so long, and we've realized we really don't. Uh, And that has been a catalyst of cascading effect for so many people. Hmm. Certainly the, the lockdowns and different responses have complicated things, but I would say from a mental health standpoint, we are as unhealthy mentally as a community as we've ever been. We're full of division, full of frustration, and full of skewed identity. And that just uh, cascades into the decisions we make and how it's fleshed out through those decisions. Hmm. You know, you, um, and you could maybe unpack it a little bit, but you told me something that Coop had, uh, Mike Coop. By the way, Place of Hope, if you just Google Place of Hope, Columbia, Tennessee is the very first link that comes up. It is Christ-centered inpatient drug and alcohol rehab. We need to get Coop on the show, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's free. Like, if you don't have money, uh, that's okay. But he, he, he said that he, he kind of summed it up with two things for you. Yeah, he, he said, you know, Kyle, really, as people, we pursue two things. Uh, one is the avoidance of pain. And the other is the feeling of pleasure. And when I look at the decisions we make and the things we allow in our life, that certainly is a driving factor, especially when it comes to addiction, right? If I can, if I'm in the middle of a painful point in life and I can pick up a bottle and I can feel good for a little bit while avoiding the pain, that's toxic. Uh, If I can pick up a phone or some piece of technology and feel good for a little while while avoiding the pain, or I can step into a relationship that lets me feel good for a little while while avoiding the pain, all of those things are toxic. The problem is, is as we help people move away from those things, if we don't plug something back into that hole, they'll always find something else unhealthy to plug into that hole. And that's why I love you, Illuminated Place of Hope is Christ-centered. Right. Because when you remove substance, if you don't plug Christ into there, 
you're going to come out with those two same pursuits to feel good and to avoid pain. And if you're not finding that in Christ, you will always plug something unhealthy and toxic back into that hole. Yeah. And I think that's the gift of chaplaincy to an organization, right? Because as a chaplain at Lee Company, I am allowed to speak into the narrative of someone's story and give them something healthy to plug into that hole. So while a lot of companies have EAPs that will help you with addiction and we can help you overcome an addiction or a broken relationship, if you don't have the right thing to plug back in there, you will always be avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure through something because it's at our carnal nature to do that. But finding it in Christ gives us the end of that broken cycle of plugging unhealthy things into our life. Yeah, you know, that's the, the even the crux of the 12 steps, right? Like our, our more modern vernacular, we, we talk about the higher power. Yeah. Um, I say we, we do not, but some do, um, which is mostly because uh, a modern progressive secular society wants all the benefits of Christianity without Christ. Um, but that you know, uh, uh, the higher power, uh, literally, I, this is I, I. This is beyond my control, and I'm giving it to to Jesus. Was where AA was born out of. That's the black book, and you know the um, the the Bible uses language of uh, we call it addiction, but you know the Bible. Whenever you see the word, for the most part in the New Testament, especially when Paul's talking about it, evil. Desires. We've we've talked about this. If you've been around conduit for any length of time, it feels like we've been talking about this a long time. Um, it's the Greek word epithumia. So we see evil desires, and, and sometimes it's translated lust. So this is Romans six verse twelve. Just for those following along at home, um, when he says in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil. Desires the epi, and that's the word epithumia. And most times you hear that it, it, it says lust or wicked desires, evil desires. We actually think of it in terms of of sex, sexual sin. Um, but that is not what it's talking about. Uh, it's the Greek word is two words, epi, which is just like uh, like an epipen, like an, uh, just an over, like a shot, like an overwhelming shot of this, uh, uh, an ultimate. And desire just simply means uh, thumia is just a desire, and so it doesn't mean um, just a uh, desire for sinful things like a pornography um, or hardcore drugs. It, it, it literally any desire that I put as an epi in front of it, which is what you just said to avoid right pain and to feel pleasure. Like f- for me. When I look back on it, um, I remember uh, I, is it Jim Gaffigan that says, you know, I, I don't, I don't stop eating when I'm full. I stop eating when I hate myself, um, yep. which is hilarious. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, that kind of makes me cry. Like that's kind of me. Like I, but I realized that that was that's been a thing for me. Like if I, uh, uh, and Jeff Schulte at one point pointed out that most people that have a problem when it comes to eating, it's actually around loneliness. Like you feel lonely. And you don't want to feel lonely, so instead of going and trying to pursue a conversation with your wife or whatever, you go, you know, for, you know, for me it's salty, you know, stuff. Like I, I could literally, I could polish off a, a can of Pringles uh, without even thinking about it. It has nothing to do with being hungry. I just like the taste. So it's pursuing pleasure, 
and avoiding pain. And, and so that, that food is a good thing, right? Maybe Pringles are not a good thing, but food is a good thing. But an epithemia for that is that, and eventually you end up with some situation where now you are obeying that evil desire was what he's saying here. So don't let sin reign because you're going to end up obeying it. You're going to have a master. And is it going to be the good master of, of Christ or is it going to be whatever this desire is? And um, when it comes to that, I remember asking Coop uh, on a Sunday morning once, hey, is addiction a sin or is it a disease? And his answer was yes. Um, because at some point you've you've because I've let sin reign in my mortal body, now I'm at you know we would call it that's a modern word disease like I'm at dis-ease with whatever of uh, this feeling, I'm obeying it. Um, and disease, I can see why some people don't like that because they think well then I, I, it's not my fault and I can just you know I can blame other people for it. So, but that's not what that ultimately means. It just means that the idea of we'll just stop it. You know the old Bob Newhart speech, just stop it, stop it. And you know, think it well, crud. I didn't think of that. I, I, of course, I'll just stop it. I didn't, you know. But there's a point where now I can't because I'm obeying that desire. Um, in, in your work right now, how much of it do you find yourself with people at that point where that 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 now those decisions are beyond their ability to stop on their own? And what do you do for them? Yeah, I would say that's the reality with most of us who find ourselves lost in something that just the the mental rewiring that go on that's conversations way smarter than me but our neuro pathways and how those things begin to rewire to find pleasure and and we find ourselves almost out of control uh, without the ability to to right the wrong ship apart from Christ and that's why the conversation a lot of times someone will ask me is it okay is it permissible to do x y and z the conversation is less about is something permissible to me and more about what is the potential destruction that lies within it. Uh, I am in the small, small percentage of um, Christians who don't drink alcohol. And the reason is not because I find some biblical precedent to not drink alcohol. It's because I see the potential destruction within it and I choose to abstain so that I don't find myself overwhelmed by something because I can have an addictive personality to things that are nice. Hmm. So the question becomes not can I, should I, will I? It's what's the potential within that to get lost in it? Because once you're lost in it, it can be really hard to pull yourself out, especially when it comes to substance addiction and sexual addiction. Those two tend to rewire the brain in a way that it does become a disease. It does become something that without deeper treatment, deeper health, uh, a deeper um, investment, you're not going to just wake up and go, I don't want to do this, and I'm not going to do it. Hmm. You know what this reminds me of is Genesis chapter 3. Going all the way back to the garden, and you're talking about epithumia and those desires. In verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, When the woman saw the f- that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing... Hmm to the eye, and also desirable for Mm. gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Mm. Mm. And it's like we zoom out and we we think, okay, what's true about us? Um, And obviously, farther down in the chapter, it talks about the Lord cursed the land and, you know, sent it into the world, and that became true for all of us. And that's what's true about us now. I mean, we are, we're sinful. And it started with 
a desire, an unhealthy desire and yeah. something looking pleasing to fill something that, <laughs> that only God, that all he wanted, all that God wanted in the garden was relationship with him. And it started all the way back there. And so when we're asking the question, what's true about us, man, we're carnal, like our flesh seems to prevail. And we ask the question, like, why, why, why do we work so hard <laughs> to avoid, uh, Christ or God when it comes to filling that void. It's like we, we've come up with a thousand ways to, what was the phrase that you used, um, to uh, avoid pain and, 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 and have the feeling of pleasure. Yeah. Like we've come up with a thousand ways to do that before thinking about or pursuing Christ. Why is that in us? Yeah, yeah. think about the, the relational satisfaction mm. in a healthy marriage that you get out of your spouse, yeah. right? It's a deeply deeply satisfying experience. And all throughout Scripture, we're referred to as the bride of Christ. And it speaks to that satisfaction that we can find in Christ when we truly commit ourselves. Relationship. Yes, relationship. And that's why when it comes to grace, certainly you don't keep on sinning because grace abounds. Because if you truly are endeared and love someone, you want to honor them and you want that relationship to get better. Mm-hmm. Michelle is one of the most forgiving women I know, but I don't keep screwing up so that her forgiveness would abound in my life, yeah, right? right? I continue oh, to want to please and honor her because I love her that yeah. much. And that's why the relational aspect, Mo, that you talk about is so important when it comes to grace and God's grace and sovereignty in our lives because it has to be birthed. And relationship. And if it's not, if we do look back and go, oh, let me just keep sinning so that grace might abound, well, then there's no relationship there. If I say, well, let me go on and keep doing dishonoring things to Michelle because she's just going to forgive me, then I have to evaluate, am I really in relationship with her? Do I really love her? Mm-hmm. And you've got to go back and stack dominoes again and work forward from there. Yeah. And I think that... Um it's wild because one of the, the that we and I know you've had a front row seat to it. I've certainly seen it, and Mo has as well. That when when someone lets it go beyond a certain place, now they're a slave to this sin addiction, however you want to call it. We'll end up hurting those people that we love the most because we're no longer serving them. We're now serving this this behavior. Um, you know, there's hardly a addict in the world uh, that didn't at some point steal grandma's silverware or steal money or lie. And I remember the first time I uh, I met Mike, I was a family member was in an addiction. And I I told him, this is 20 years ago now, I was like, it's not that she's addicted. You know, it's just because she just keeps lying to me, you know. And, and he laughed like he like like the super Mike Coop laugh. It's like, Derek, of course she's lying. She's an addict. That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's how they get their stuff. They got to lie about it. They're Oscar award-winning liars. You know, those who don't, you know, don't take it personally. That's they're not uh, serving you at that point. They're serving this. And you know, Paul actually towards the end of chapter six even answers that question, Mo, of why, um, because he he says as we're as we're getting into verse twenty, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Uh, and by the way, so he's, he's basically saying what's obvious to most people after an addiction is over or someone who's outside looking in at someone in addiction, which is 
what benefit are you getting from? You're literally destroying your life. But they are, in the moment, avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure. So in a weird way, whatever behavior it is, um, because we wouldn't do it if it didn't work for us in some way. And by work, what we mean is avoid pain and pursue pleasure. It works for that. And so you'll end up... uh, doing those behaviors because in that way it worked, which is one of the things that I remember Chip Dodd saying about behavior. He's like, I'm not necessarily as concerned about what they're doing as why they're doing it. Because we can get to the why of it, the what will change if we can yeah. heal the why behind it. Uh, he's saying those things result in, in death. And, um, and here's what I know about uh, substance addiction, specifically substance abuse. Um, it is 100% fatal. Like Paul speaking of spiritual death, uh, death, death, but it is 100% fatal if you don't stop it. It will kill you, um, and we've seen it, and there are those heartbreaking stories, and some of you, maybe you're listening, have experienced it yourself. Um, but what I love is that Paul goes on to say, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death. Like I'm, This is my I'm going to work, and my paycheck isn't Bitcoin, it's death, uh, but the gift of God is eternal life uh, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I, in that moment of pursuing pleasure and, and trying to avoid pain on anything, on an epithumia besides God, um, will result in death. But being set free from that, it's like when I first read that, I'm like, but why do I still, like, you know, I promise you tonight, if I'm having a bad night, uh, my first instinct is a bag of Cheetos, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm down some inches, like I'm working, like I'm, but, you know, I'm, I'm realizing okay, where, but for me, I'm, what that means is in that moment, I've forgotten who I am, that I am not a child of Cheetos, but I'm a child of God. And, um, I think I can speak for most people that are struggling with uh, specifically addiction, slave to sin, is most of them don't feel worthy of the work, of the healing. of the, there, There's some lie in their life that is lodged where they think they are still this uh, worthless child. This, In my case, I still think I'm that white trash kid that nobody thought would do anything. You know, so uh, if, if, but if, if that's my identity, um, that's the kid that runs to food, to behaviors. But remembering that that's not who I am. I'm this I'm chosen by God, by Jesus, like the, the price that he paid. That's why, you know, chapter six is all about, you know, chapter five, which is you are justified. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So why would you go on sinning? Because you don't that's not who you are anymore. And by the way, I just said that like it's so easy and now, you know, we're all going to be, you know, um, magically there. That's the sanctification part. Um, And if this is not a part of all of our lives, the reminder of who we are in the gospel. um, Somebody last night at at our worship night said, Darren, I just want to be used by God. And he was crying and he meant it. and And I was like, what if you were just loved by God, whether you did anything or not for him? And. Um, and I don't know that it even sunk in, but I was like, in that, I was like, oh gosh, even ministry can be that addiction yeah. um, with it. Because now I'm trying to f- avoid pain and pursue pleasure here, uh, and I've just forgotten who I am. Uh, 
Um, but I, I hopefully in these next few weeks, uh, supernaturally pe- people being set free, but literally supernaturally, like in our hearts, going from our heads to our hearts of this is who we are. Uh, we are no longer slaves to sin. Um, and in that moment when you, you, you've fallen down again, we're going to get there. Chapter seven, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Because um, I'm sure someone's listening right now. And then by tonight, you're going to be looking at that computer screen again, and you, you're going to hate yourself all over again. That's where chapter eight comes in. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You just forgot who you were. Uh, the sin has consequences. There's death in sin. There is death. Uh, there's separation. There's, it steals intimacy. All those things. So we don't go on sinning, but we're not stopping it out of condemnation. We're stopping it out of an identity of who we are. Um, Kyle, in the, in the few minutes we've got uh, left, what would you say right now to specifically, because um, you and I both know there's a lot of marriages um, teetering. Uh what advice, and it may not even have anything to do with what we just talked about, like, but what advice would you have? Someone's listening, someone, um, marriage is falling apart. Marriage is not what they want it to be. That's a, that's a really wide, broad right. question, by the way. But what, what advice would you have for, this is specifically for just conduit families and people listening who are in a marriage relationship right now. I see so many marriage struggles and tensions coming out of rigidity. And both parties being so rigid in what they want, what they believe, what they desire, um, almost a a skewed identity of their own worth in the marriage that the tension gets to the point that they can't coexist. I would say be flexible. Hmm. Um, You know, when I look at, again, the, the model of relationship that we've been giving as the bride of Christ, right, we submit as the bride to Christ as in that analogy, our husband, but only because Christ sacrificed, are we willing to submit? And so many husbands are saying, submit to me, but they're not living a life of sacrifice that's worthy of submission. And so many brides are unwilling to submit because their desires trump their husband's desires. But to have flexibility within that, to, to remember the the unity of becoming one, and it's no longer about individual desires and individual passions, but uh, mutual desires and passions, and to have that flexibility to bend for each other. Um, trees have a, a natural flexibility in them, and that's why they're able to stand in the storms. A truly rigid tree without that flexible core is going to snap every time. That's why dead trees fall down. Hmm. But to have that flexibility to weather those tensions, I think, is certainly um, valuable. But it can only be found in what you continue to affirm, which is identity, knowing who we are in Christ and knowing what our role is in the relationship to bring that flexibility to the table. Hmm. Humility. Yeah. Really, 100%. I mean, when you when you said flexibility, that's kind of the first word that popped in my head is living a life of humility, that it's selfless. Yeah, you know, and um, that that can be hard to do when when the world is pumping in prideful things all day long yeah. um, that are self indulging and um, that points us back to ourselves. But yeah, the humility and flexibility to to love our spouse. Yeah. Um, 
takes work. It's practice. Yeah. And it takes getting back to what God said about marriage instead of what media says about marriage, right. what sitcoms say about marriage, what our friends say about marriage, what society says about it. What does God say about it? Yeah. And what does it look like? And let that be the foundational stone that you build upon. Yeah. I mean, it's verse 3 of chapter 6. For don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may have and live a new life, like united with him in death. Um, It really is a, uh, your old self crucified. uh, You talk about rigidity, (laughs) like being unbendable, whatever, like that. There's a humility that if, when I remember what Christ did for me, it, 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 the only proper response is that kind of empathy of like, um, you know, it's uh, my life. And it's kind of funny. I guess it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. You know, we realized after being married 27 years, there are a lot of things that are my dream that are like my wife's nightmare. Like <laughs> I, I would love to get in an RV. Now, by the way, this is long before RVs were cool and on Instagram. All right. I was long before that. I just remember I'd be touring around the country in a bus, but I didn't see any of it because I was in a bunk and I'd wake up in a venue and I'd go back to sleep in a venue and I thought, man, someday I'm going to get in an RV and I'm just going to teach the Bible in little tiny churches and go see the Grand Canyon and take my time. And, you know, this sounds like amazing to me. And my wife would uh, rather claw her own eyes out than to be stuck in an RV with me because uh, all she sees is like she grew up in Minnesota. She sees like blue-haired people from Minnesota going to Phoenix and playing golf and shuffleboard and apparently pickleball um, with it. But uh, but what is that like? And I, by the way, I don't know what that means uh, for us other than like I had to maybe let that go. And you know, even selling our farm was a little bit of that. Me going, this is my dream. You know, I, I want all this stuff. I want goats. I want the whole thing. And she's you know, but but I'm in Haiti and a goat's dead. And she's like, you know, this is now all of a sudden her problem. The rigidity of us, you know, there is no, uh, nobody covered this in premarital counseling, but it was some point where I had to let go of some of that stuff because it was better for her and she has to do that for me a lot. And there's this, I I don't know if that is the actual secret to longevity. We've made it 27 years um, with it, but it does, you know, uh, it isn't about the goat. It's about am I dead and am I old self crucified and am I allowed to, you know, you know, not codependency, right? Just to keep her from being upset, but actually literally because I love her enough. Yeah, I've never seen a beautiful marriage that didn't exist without abundant sacrifice. Just like I've never seen a a beautiful Christian relationship that doesn't exist without a lot of sacrifice. We probably should have just started and ended with that one. That's good. Because that's, man, I'll bet if if you were to line up the Buford Janes and Ernie's and Shirley's of our church and you said that to them, they'd be like, course that's how it works you know? right of course that's how it is Kyle what have you got going right now I know you've got a um for those listening the w- first week of November you actually have an event this weekend yeah this which I'm weekend. speaking at thank you for letting me do that yeah I'm, super I'm so excited about, about it like we've got you kicking it off it's going to be a big weekend we've got um men and women who are our chaplains that are coming into town and we're we're training equipping them helping them to go out and serve better as well the institution of chaplaincy is getting so diluted in America if you look at hospitals, if you look in the armed forces, um, chaplaincy is much less a theological stance anymore and much more just an emotional support. And you've got um, the 
industry of atheistic chaplains growing. I was just going to ask you, this guy at Harvard. It's Harvard, yeah. Yeah, we it's talking about that. Unbelie- and seeing these articles are so disheartening because it dilutes what, what a chaplain has historically been. Yeah. So we are equipping and empowering men and women to continue to allow chaplaincy to be a, another flag in the ground for Christ in the marketplace and to try and reclaim what secular culture is doing to the institution of chaplaincy. Yeah, good for you. If someone wants to find you guys online for that Chaplain Collective, yep, where would they chaplainscollective.com. So chaplainscollective.com. Of course, if you Google, I'm sure Kyle Froman and Chaplain, you know, you'll find Careful if you Google Kyle Froman. There is another Kyle Froman out there. Uh, we won't talk a lot about him right now. You though. too? There was a Darren Tyler out there that for a long time, I'm like, oh, I don't want you Googling my name. Cause yeah, yeah, this one is, this, yeah, just be careful. If you're looking for <laughs> Kyle Froman, know that one okay. of those, if you look at that and you go, I didn't think that, that's not me. <laughs> Noted. Yeah. So let's just Google Chaplain Collective if you can't remember it. But uh, yeah, yeah, or you can just, um, you can email Kyle, Kyle, K-Y-L-E at conduitchurch.com. You can email him directly, Kyle at conduitchurch.com. If you have any questions, maybe you're in a place where you would like to meet with Kyle and you have you have some things that you're working through. Um, maybe, maybe it's time that you start to deal with some addiction in your life and you're, you're, or you have a relationship that you really need to work through. And this is your opportunity and chance to you know, reach out for some help. Maybe you've been putting it off and, um, Kyle's here. Kyle's here to help, help you walk through that. Kyle at conduitchurch.com. And, um, Man, we're just so grateful for the work that you do. So thank you for spending some time with us today. And uh, this Sunday, so we're going to dive right into Romans 6. Yeah, head, head first. So everything we've talked about today is kind of a, a, a prequel to uh, what we're going to speak on Sunday. And Darren will be, be leading that teaching for us. Um, and, of course, if you want to catch any of the previous uh, uh, sessions, teachings from this sermon series, obviously through the podcast— also through our YouTube channel. And then we invite you to join us on a Sunday, if you'd like. Uh, if you're in the Franklin, Tennessee area, catch us at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can watch our live stream uh, on YouTube at 11 a.m. each and every Sunday, Central Time. And we would just love to have you join us. We're thankful for those that, that jump in with us each and every uh, podcast, the deeper podcast. We try to go just a little bit deeper each time. And so thank you for doing that. And we're glad that you joined us today. 